You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Santa Barbara, California, Montecito to be specific. And before we start today's show, I want to remind you that there is a website associated with this podcast called WealthFormula.com. Lots of resources there. Check it out. Lots of videos, books, online books, that kind of stuff there. And that's also where you're going to join the various lists that are associated with this podcast, such as the Accredited Investor Club. If you're tired of having lazy money sitting on the sideline and and you're an accredited investor, come join the party. Uh, Join our Wealth Formula Accredited Investor Club. Also, there is a group called Wealth Formula Network. It's a course, actually. It starts with a course uh, called Your Roadmap to Real Wealth and then phases into a community, an online community that is on Facebook and all that, but also more importantly, as bi-weekly Zoom video conference calls that people really, really seem to enjoy. You can check that out. There's a dedicated site for that as well at wealthformularoadmap.com. Now, this podcast I want is sort of, you know, we did Ask Buck last week and then, you know, I was going to do another one, but then, yeah, I thought I'd mix it up and we have George Newberry wanted to get on uh, and talk a little bit about what's going on. I thought it was a good idea. So we'll sort of come in and out with the all the Ask Buck questions. And if you want to keep asking them, go to wealthformula.com. And I think there's a little thing there that says, leave Buck a message or something like that. Go ahead and ask your question there. That's ideally how you want to do it. Uh, last week, great questions. I thought it was a really, uh, really useful show, by the way. So this week, of course, we have George Newberry today on the show. And he's the guy talks a lot about, uh, well, he's a, he's an expert really, I think, on the single family home market in particular. You know, the residential real estate market is on fire. What's going to happen in the future? I don't know. There's this great Yogi Berra quote I love. He says, it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. Anyway, that's, uh, that's Yogi Berra. Good stuff. No doubt he's right. We are seeing massive uh, growth and expansion across the board from single-family homes to massive apartment complexes. Prices are going crazy. And I'll tell you, these are different animals too. Uh, I'm not an expert on single-family homes like George at all. I don't understand them. They're not rooted in you know net operating incomes and cap rates and stuff like that. However, I can comment on larger residential real estate. Um, and as you know, cap rates have gone down uh, they've gone down a lot, and it's because mortgage interest rates are also at historic lows. I mean, this is just math, right? This stuff it just doesn't just happen. People say, oh, you know, it's low cap rates, and I don't wait till there's high cap rates and buy then. But, you know, what is what is it anyway? What is this whole cap rate thing? It's basically uh, following interest rates. It's just math, right? Leverage only works... If the money you borrow, it's less expensive than the cap rate. So in other words, the cap rate has to be less than the interest rate. I'm sorry, the interest rate has to be less than the cap rate. See, I'm confusing you already. The interest rate has to be less than the cap rate. Otherwise, you are leveraging losses, not profits. So think about that. All right, that's an important thing. So that's driving cap rates. If the interest rates are 
low, 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 then we can get to a lower cap rate, right? Because as long as we have positive leverage, it works. So the question I often get from investors is, what if interest rates go up? And it's, and it's actually a good question. We have to understand that there's no component, though, of the economy that happens just in a vacuum, right? You don't have like, well, escaped interest rates and everything else is the same. It doesn't happen that way. Cap rates are low because interest rates are low. Interest rates are low to avoid asset deflation. And the Fed is controlling mortgage interest rates by buying up 10-year treasury bonds. Uh, the 10-year treasury typically reflects inflation. If it goes up, that means we've got inflation on the horizon. So even if cap rates go up following increased mortgage interest rates, we should be able to raise our rents because of inflation to match debt inflation and offset the negative impact on us as sellers who now are dealing with increased cap rates. Now go back and listen to that. I know it might be a little confusing, but listen to it in slow motion. No, I know a lot of you listen to me in fast motion because I talk slow, but you may want to listen to that one slower. Anyway, that's why I consider apartment complexes to be a hedge against inflation. But the reality is that the economy right now is unpredictable and it's pretty darn fragile too. Okay, so the likelihood of the Federal Reserve allowing interest rates to just sort of naturally creep up to me, seems unlikely as any downward trends in the economy or anything that resembles any kind of shock to the economy uh, will almost certainly result in a knee-jerk response of economic stimulation. Now, of course, I could be wrong. Of course, I can because Yogi, like Yogi Berra said, it is very difficult to predict anything, especially about the future. But my personal feeling is that we have... Um, I think that we have a runway of about a good five years or more before the party ends. That's what I really believe, okay? That's not financial advice. It's just what I think is going to happen. So what do you do? So what do you do now? Well, again, I'm not going to give you investing uh, advice, but I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm doing what I always do. I'm investing in value out real estate that does not rely on market appreciation to be profitable. We're not just going to buy stuff and hope. Buy and hope is not a good strategy. If the market keeps heading north, then great. If not, it's not the end of the world because what we do and what I invest in is value add real estate where we actually create equity, right? So the bottom line in my view is that a reasonable approach to this, you know, strange world economy that we live in is to continue volume averaging into investments. Because the problem is not investing in an inflationary environment also guarantees the loss of your buying power. So you don't have a lot of choices, you know. And I, and, and people who guessed on this and decided not to invest, man, they have lost so much money. Because in the last six, seven years, there's like some major players out there who just stopped buying, right? Because they say interest rates are low, cap rates are low, and they just assumed, you know, that it was, you know, time to stop. And man, oh man, a lot, of, a lot of money that was not made during that period of time. So obviously, you know, I have a perspective on this. My friend George Newberry uh, is, um, you know, he's less enthusiastic about the market. And obviously he's talking about the single family market. And, and all these are all interconnected. You know, even the stock market's connected with real estate too. 
but he's um you know he's he's a little bit more pessimistic at least in in a shorter period of time than I am uh and he's looking at uh, making some you know other choices and on this week's wealth formula podcast George comes back to the show and he gives us perspective on the real estate market and his formula to come out ahead either way and so we will have George right after these messages Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is George Newberry. You've probably heard of George before. He's been on the show, uh, I don't know how many times, certainly a record for the number of appearances on Wealth Formula Podcast. He's been a supporter of Wealth Formula Podcast since the beginning, even when we only had five or six listeners. Of course, he didn't know that at the time, so it didn't hurt him. (laughs) George, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Doc. It's a pleasure to be back. I'm trying to put my distance between between uh, myself and the second place uh, guest uh, the, in terms of number of appearances on your show. I don't even know who that would be, honestly. So it's probably me. I mean, I probably <laughs> second place. But um, but how's it going? I you, you know uh, let's uh, let you know. Obviously, George, we know you as um, you know is the is the founder uh, of probably most. Uh, well-known to everybody is the founder of American Homeowner Preservation, which became AHP Servicing, uh, then pre-REO. So you are in, of course, the business of ultimately of non-performing notes, non-performing properties and all that stuff. So let me just ask you, what the heck is going on right now? We just came off like, you know, the pandemic and all this stuff. What's going on in the real estate market? Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. Uh, when COVID first started, you know, I think at that point, before it had started, people were thinking, hey, we're at the end of a long um, up cycle. You know, the market had been going up since yeah. 2011, 2012, 2013. Uh, and uh, it was ripe for a reason to go the other direction and, uh, and prices to decline. And instead, the complete opposite happened. I mean, that's not news to anybody, but the the market's been on fire for the last uh, year and a half. And, uh, you know, property values have gone up by and large 20%, some areas 30%, uh, and almost like all areas, all properties, it's it's uh, been just an extraordinary um, situation. Uh, and that's been helpful. I mean, the reality has been helpful to our companies. Um, what's happened, uh, the beginning of COVID was challenging uh, as, uh, you know, for, as it was probably was for, for everybody, but you know, I'm, I'm, I have to say, I, I'm growing increasingly concerned that there will be a downturn. There is, this has to end. And, uh, the fact that it's gone up so high, I think there's a significant, um, disruption in our future. How soon? I don't know. I mean, the economy is so fragile. It's likely the interest rates will stay low for an extended period, but at some point this has to change. And, uh, and I think there's, you know, I probably the most at risk buyers are probably those buying today, um, especially on the, those those properties that have appreciated the greatest in the last uh, last eighteen months. Is it the same across the board in the country, or is it mostly in in uh, certain areas? No, we see it. I mean, it's almost across the board in 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 almost all areas, you know, the country and also all price ranges. There's just been this um, this extraordinary demand, uh, and uh, and that's and, and also extraordinarily cheap money. You know, federal money, stimulus money, PPP, other kinds of of, of monies that have flooded the system have, I think, all contributed to uh, the phenomenon that we're seeing today. Yeah. And, uh, that, so that's, it's, it's interesting. So, um, 
this is um I remember I think last time we we had you on, which wasn't that long ago. I mean, it was during it was more sort of in the heart of the pandemic. But I think you were um you were anticipating uh, you know, sort of the opposite, right? Uh you were you were anticipating then because of, you know, historical precedents that we would have a lot of um, you know, a lot more REOs, a lot more distress in the market. Yeah, well, I still anticipate that happening. It's just, uh, I'll be right. It's just, we're not sure what, <laughs> when. Uh, but one day you'll say, I was right. I, I'll probably call, probably call it too early. Oh, don't um, be one of those but I would, guys. <laughs> but all the, I mean, foreclosure moratoriums are still in place in many parts of the country. They have yeah. started lifting in some states. Um, but that is, you know, kind of holding back inventory um, and, and, and keeping, um, you know, creating scarcity, which, which drives, uh, drives values up, uh, demand and values up. So that, that is a, uh, there's a lot of unknowns. I think for everybody, it's hard to predict uh, a market where there's a lot of, I, I would almost say artificial factors in play, you know, these extremely low interest rates, foreclosure moratoriums, things that are usually aren't weaved into the equation or now you have to, you have to kind of weave them in. And, uh, and even when these foreclosure moratoriums end, it's going to be interesting to see, um, I don't think there's, and in fairness, some of them have already ended, uh, but we have not seen a mass um, start of foreclosures. I think there's huge pressure, uh, and rightfully so, there's huge pressure from regulators and our, and, and our governments to do everything we can, even um, once the foreclosure moratoriums lift, do everything we can to keep families in their homes. And I think there's, there's already a decent amount of... Um, federal money that's earmarked to support those efforts and maybe help families catch up on some of their payments or, or, or do other things to incentives to servicers to do mods. I think these are, are, are tools that are likely to come into play. And even once all the moratoriums are, moratoriums are lifted uh, and foreclosures could all start in mass, I don't think we'll see that happening. So that could extend this for another six to 12 months, even once, um, once there's no barriers to, to foreclosure. Single family houses are, are are a lot harder to understand for me, and because there's really no, you know, I mean, you don't you, you don't really deal with cap rates and all that. I mean, it's really what people anticipate they're worth, right? I mean, so it's challenging, but certainly one of the things that um, I think drive and you mentioned this was driving the market here is really really cheap money, really uh, low interest rates, right? I and the the, the the challenge. To me, is trying to understand, like, I mean, I don't really see interest rates, you know, come going going much going higher for some time, right? And so, with that in mind, um, you know, you mentioned obviously you've got the moratoriums and all that, but you also have a lot of interested investors, a lot of you know free money uh, flowing out there. Um, this thing could last a lot longer than we anticipate. Yeah, it could. I think there's, but investors are also, you know, a lot of what drives it is emotion uh, and people get nervous or get, get, uh, get scared and vice versa, get very comfortable. Like, like many people are today, you know, some people who have best just been investing the last um, few years, maybe thinking this is easy. I mean, I just buy something and it goes up in value. I sell it or, or refinance it. And uh, that's easy. Um, but it's not always like that way. It's not always that way. At some point, there will be a downturn where you know just as easy to make money, it become just as easy to lose money. So, although I don't see the factors like the low the interest rates, it's very difficult to raise them when the economy is as challenged as it still is, or at least many sectors are. Uh, so agreed on that. But 
it may be something different. It may be uh, something that like COVID, you know, kind of came and most people didn't anticipate something like that. And so I don't think anyone anticipated the extent of it. You know, what's next? What is the uh, China Everglades? Uh, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, that story. Uh, I've only had a few people share that with me, but you go, wow. I'm not that many, I should say not that many people are talking about it, but those that are, it's pretty extraordinary. And, um, so let's see what, what yeah. is, um, you know, what's the trigger event is, uh, the inciting incident that right. turns us down. And it won't be something that necessarily that that's a reasonable thing. It's something that, that comes out and all of a sudden everybody says, wait, wait, this doesn't yeah. make sense. Cause the reality is the prices that some buyers are paying today don't make sense. Uh, yeah. I can only, you can only justify it with the cheap money. So the payments may make sense, but the problem is we'll see what happened in, you know, last downturn where you had a lot of, you had some strategic defaults. I won't say a lot, but you had a decent percentage of strategic yeah. defaults, people who could afford to pay their payment, but chose not to, because in their mind, they're saying, Hey, why am I paying on a $500,000 mortgage when my property is only worth 300? And that situation is likely to return and it's not going to return to the, uh, I hate to say, but it's like a pyramid scheme of sorts. The, uh, you know, the real estate market where everybody wins, 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 wins. But the last, that last group of people, the last buyers in are the ones that take the hit. It all tumbles down. They start it over. Um, and there's a, you know, you could argue that, you know, there's, been a history of this up and down cycle where the last people in are the ones that take the hit. In fairness, some of those people, they can hold on. They do well in time. Right. You know, if you, you held on to your home through the 2008 crisis, chances are it's probably regained all of its value and then some today, but that's a long stretch. That's a good 13 years uh, since 2008. Right. The interesting thing to me is that like, you know, we talk about this in you know, in normal times, I just listen, I would listen to what you're saying. And yeah, that's just the, the, you know, that's the cycles. He's looking at the cycles, but we live in really unusual times in terms of, you know, fiscal monetary policies and, and it, you know, things aren't doing what they would normally do. I mean, we just got through a, a what should have been an absolutely devastating economy with the pandemic yet artificial money, you know, all of these creative means of keeping the economy afloat. Are you convinced that we're not in a place like that where we're just, you know, I guess Marin Katusa, for example, would call this sort of a modern monetary theory where you just don't even worry about debt anymore. You just keep pumping money, 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 money into the economy and keeping it afloat. Is this, uh, are you convinced that we aren't in different times now and that this follows historical precedence? I'm not convinced. I think, I think the, I'm not convinced that this is anything different. Uh, so every time we hit this high point and people look back and say, well, history has always done this, but this time it's different. Uh, and here's why, and they'll list a number of reasons why. And people in 2008 were arguing this time is different. Here's why. And it really wasn't. And there were a lot of, and I'll, I'll actually say 2007, uh, but there was a lot of bright, some of the brightest people um, in the country, a lot of people on, you know, at some of the Wall Street um, banks were analysts were creating models saying, no, this is going to sustain itself. And I think it's just unreasonable to say that this time will be different. I think it's the same story. Uh, and there, there's definitely some different ingredients today, uh, some different storylines. I mean, COVID is an extraordinary one, the flood of cash, the ultra low interest rates, foreclosure moratoriums, all these things, some of which 
you know, we'll probably see once in our lifetime um, have been put in place. And uh, that is, I think that will delay the inevitable downturn in the market. I think that not only will delay, they have delayed the inevitable downturn in the market. And I think the cycle will go back down. And I don't, I don't think this is different. Um, and I think people should prepare that this isn't different. If you're making investments, um, you know, be cautious and, and, and think, think short term, I would think, um, because the, uh, the longer term is there will be significant disruption in what, in what's happening today. And if you think short term, if you can get in and out fairly soon, that works. If, you, if you're, you know, anyone starting a long-term construction project that's going to take three years today, I'd be concerned that at some point in that three years, you know, the market changes and all of a sudden, whatever you're projecting for the exit is going to be tough to achieve. Yeah. And we're doing, and we're doing this. And I mean, I, I, I'll tell you our strategy over the next three months through the end of the year for HP servicing in 2015, a plus they both have benefited substantially from the, what's happened in the market over the last 18 months. We are trying to exit our positions. Our goal is to sell, um, you know, dispose of all our assets and in a, into a very favorable market. So if we're reperforming loan, we're selling those. Uh, if we have an REO, obviously those are hard to keep on the shelves. They're selling very fast. Um, and then uh, the non-performing loans, if we see that it's going to take longer than the end of the year to exit, you know, we're considering selling those as well, because I think the values that, and I may be calling the market early, but the values that we see, and, and, and I expect will still be here for the, for the remainder of the year. I don't know if they'll be here throughout next year. And so I, uh, for us to exit those positions um, now uh, and sell those assets and take our gains and, and, and move on to the next two funds, which is what we're doing right now. And the next two funds have strategies that are built for what we anticipate uh, entering into a, uh, that at some point in the fund's life will ex enter into a downturn. And, and how long are those funds? They're both five-year funds. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll tell you the two strategies because they're, they, uh, it's what we think is the appropriate thing to do right now. So pre-REO is a marketplace for defaulted mortgages. And how we, one of the big features of it is that we offer to finance uh, investors' acquisition of defaulted mortgages with the investor putting 25% down, uh, pre-REO financing, 75%. And that's what we do. Uh, you know, that's the majority of the money that we're raising through our pre-REO crowdfunding offering is to do just that. So think about this, the, um, the property value is 75,000. Uh, I'm sorry, the property value is 100,000. Uh, if that's the case, in all likelihood, uh, the local investor can buy that loan at 75,000, which is a 25% uh, discount off what it's currently worth. For REO investors, very, very attractive. Uh, and then they put down 25% uh, of the 75,000, which leaves us investing 56,000. Ordinarily, we would be the one investing around 75,000, but now we're investing 56,000. Uh, so even if that 100 drops to 90, 80, 75, uh, we remain in uh, what we believe will be uh, a position, a secure position that will um, weather whatever the next downturn is. Uh, that will, uh, so that, that's that's our strategy on pre-REO. Uh, on, so on just, HP, just go ahead. Um, if I can just stop you real sure, quick, sure. because there's, that's one product and that's at preREO.com. And so the idea is, in, in from the investor side, is that there you've you've got a platform there with. So these are properties that are in foreclosure, or these are properties, yes. in, and you are basically you have them on sale, and you're saying uh, you put down twenty five percent. What put up? We'll put up seventy five percent, right? 
What are the terms typically on the debt there? Sure. Uh, so we, we charge 12%. Uh, mm-hmm. So investors pay us 12% paid monthly, and then uh, they get all the upside. And we've been had pre-REO up for just over a year. And a lot of people have made a lot of money uh, buying loans and the market's values have kept going up. So when they've exited, generally they have done extraordinarily well. Uh, One, one on a single REO, on a single pre-REO, one uh, investor shared, it was the best single investment he's ever made in his life. He made more than $1 million on one single pre-REO. So are you you buying the mortgage or in that? Buying the mortgage. And I'll give you the numbers on that one because it's kind of extraordinary. Uh, It was about a 2.5 million dollar mortgage which he bought for 1.8 million uh singer island florida so very nice area uh and he thought it was worth about 2.5 when he bought it in he bought the mortgage in october 2020 but um you know a few months later he called me and said hey you know we're uh it was tenant occupied. Uh, he was completing the foreclosure and he said, Hey, the broker thinks I can sell this for $3 million. He was excited about that. A few months later, he, uh, the tenant, he paid 25,000 to the tenant to move out. He did a little, some repair work to the property. And he said, Hey, the broker thinks I can sell for 3.5. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is this market that, that that's occurred over the last 18 months. By the time he put it on the market at 3.5, he had multiple offers, including one all cash at over $3.8 million. And that's what he sold it for. So by the time, you know, deducting all his costs and expenses made over a million bucks, um, in less than a year on a single asset. Uh, so that's extraordinary. And a lot of other people have made, you know, put down 25,000, you know, for their 25% down and then double their money. We said stories like over and over of this stuff. And that's great that people are making money on it. But it's also, uh, I think, uh, a direct factor uh, of the uh, of the extraordinary real estate market that we've been in. So they bought and six months later, you know, the value has gone up 10, 15%. And that has contributed a lot to this, um, to this. I think the risk is when it goes the other direction and people could be facing, um, people need to factor in, hey, there, there's a chance that values go the other direction. What's exciting to me about pre is right now, today, the majority of the assets are being sold by third parties. Uh, so we have third parties that are coming to our site and there's some large Wall Street back hedge funds that are now putting on the, putting um, assets on the site. And uh, we simply earn a fee in, uh, a fee in the middle um, for, um, being the platform, a program fee. And we also earn the interest when, uh, when we finance and 95% of the people finance, it's a very high number. Only a few people pay cash, uh, cause they like the leverage and leverage is very uncommon in the note world. So that's uh, what we've worked out. And it, it's, I think for investors, you know, we pay out 12, we, we charge 12%, we pay out investors 7%. So you can see how we make money. We make mm-hmm. money on that, yeah. on that spread, which covers the expenses also gets sure. profit. Okay. Well, cool. That's at preario.com. That's interest. That's a, certainly an interesting thing. Um, uh, and then you have something else you're doing. Talk, talk sure. Uh, so we're also buying a title insurance company and this this so it's called AHP Title. It's another crowdfunding offering, similar um, situation where we're paying uh, seven, for seven percent to investors, hundred dollar minimum investment, kind of very similar to some of our prior funds and almost identical to pre-REO. But they there's a two uh, primary uses of the money. One is we're build we're buying a title insurance company, so not a title agent, but actually the insurance company, and then we're also um, we're buying a title insurance company, which is in one state. We're going to expand it nationwide. 
That's the number one strategy. Number two is we're buying defaulted mortgage loans. So very similar to AHP servicing, where we started a national mortgage servicer and we also um, bought defaulted mortgages. But one big difference here, uh, the defaulted mortgages that are being purchased or will be purchased by AHP title will all be backed by our federal government in the form of FHA, VA, or USDA. So uh, again, protecting for a potential downturn. Uh, to the extent there is there are losses on a loan that we buy, then there is the ability to um, file a claim with FHA, VA, USDA, and get reimbursed for all or part of that loss. So it is a and. It is something which we see as repeatable and scalable and more predictable. Uh, now, bear in mind, we buy these loans at discounts, just like we we have always done. Uh, but we buy these at smaller discounts because the discounts are small are smaller because there's this federal uh, backing, uh, which covers all or part of any potential losses. And some of the losses, even like, hey, you know, we buy a loan for eighty five cents. You know, we buy a hundred hundred thousand dollar loan for eighty five thousand. We may only recover ninety. Then we've gotten you know five thousand dollars profit plus there's ten thousand dollars that we can file um, a claim on. Got it. Very cool. And and uh, that that product is not quite out yet. Um, no, that you know. well by the time you listeners hear this, it, it's going live uh, the last day of August. And 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 I'll tell you the big reason we're we're going for the government back loans or a big driving reason is as an insurance company we can become a member of the we're eligible to become a member of the Federal Reserve Bank, and this wow. will allow us to um, at, this will probably provide us access to extraordinarily inexpensive leverage. Uh, today would be less than half a percent, wow. uh, but they won't take our just a regular non-performing loan as um, as uh, collateral, but they will take uh, at least the Federal Home Loan Bank of Boston. Uh, and did I say Federal Reserve? It's the Federal Home Loan Bank of uh, is the one that we're eligible to, to be a members of. And we're planned to uh, apply for membership in the Federal Home Loan Bank of Boston. And uh, we expect that they will uh, at some point allow us to pledge uh, our mortgages, which are have the federal government backing, and uh, lever those to some extent, and uh, again, that very uh, inexpensive leverage married with the seven percent crowdfunding equity that we raise uh, should make us very, very competitive uh, in terms of our cost of capital to buy these mortgages. Good stuff. You are uh, you are a raging entrepreneur, my friend. I'm uh, I'm always just impressed every time I think I'm I'm an entrepreneur gone wild. It's like I have George on, and I'm like, I am tame. I'm a very tame individual compared to you. No, I, I, I'm, I have a, a few. Um, I'm, I'm trying to. I mean, the good news is these these companies are all complementary. Uh, so pre ario people that buy these mortgages or, or mortgages that are purchased by HP Title, they all get serviced at HP Servicing. So everything kind of interconnects, and yeah. that's uh, that's what we're trying to build is something that where everything complements and supports each other company. Fantastic. Well, George, I want to thank you for being on uh, Wealth Formula Podcast again. And again, right now we've got preareo.com that's live. Uh, People should check that out. It looks like a really good opportunity to get involved with really nice properties too, right? I mean, obviously you're talking about multi-million dollar properties. You're not just talking about, you know, junky stuff. So maybe you'll even find a place to to live uh, on preareo.com if you want. But George, as always, a pleasure, and uh, I'm sure we will have you on uh, again in the uh, near future. I look forward to it. Thanks, Bob. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to the show, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. Of course, George, uh, George is a very, very smart guy. I love having George on the show. He's a longtime supporter of Wealth Formula. I'm also a longtime supporter of George, big fan. He is the ultimate entrepreneur, and uh, it's fun to watch him. At any rate, I think, what do you take from this? Uh, the thing that I would recommend that you do is I think you listen to a lot of different perspectives. I mean, listen to me, sure, but listen to others as well. Um, and if nothing else, what you want to try to do is try to piece um, the facts together and try to understand why people have the opinions they have. If you're listening to this show, chances are you're a really smart person. I mean, you're probably, you know, some kind of a professional, maybe you're a doctor or a lawyer or business owner and it's really savvy, whatever. This is not over your head. You just need to kind of learn what people are talking about and start making your own decisions, right? Personal finance, we've talked about it before, but it's really, again, it's personal. And handing this off to somebody and saying, you know better than I do, and, you know, just do what you, you think, uh, I don't think is a really great way to approach your personal finances. I really don't. Because, you know, think about the wealth advisors and stuff. They're not doing anything differently. And the reality is a lot of them aren't thinking at all. So listen to what we're talking about. Listen to what George says. Listen to what I say. They're, we're not always going to agree on stuff. And make your own decisions on a way to proceed. For me, you know, I, I don't, I just don't think I could predict the future. And I think that we're in a very positive asset, uh, you know, the direction of the asset markets are, are up right now. And I think they're going to continue to be that no matter what the frenzy is over the next few years. Uh, and um, even if they're not, I think the, for me, the idea is, you know, just buy and stuff and improve it and increase and create equity. We don't have to just sit there and wait, wait and hope. Buying hope is not a good strategy in investment uh, investments, and that's what most people do. We want to do is we want to buy and create equity and create wealth. Anyway, that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.